everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of It Happens Everywhere. And Shal, do you want to talk us into what we're discussing today? Mm-hmm. I will. So, following on from last week's horrendous episode, um, I'm going to give you another absolutely horrendous episode. And... Um, it is bad. It really is bad. I'm going to do a couple of like points in between certain things that I'm saying and give you like a warning if you don't want to listen to certain parts of this. Okay. Cause it's fucked up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we are going to be talking about the case of Sylvia Likens. Um, you what? I didn't know what I was doing, but I've sorted it. Good. Good. <laughs> She's back with us. She's back with us. <laughs> we will be releasing, I reckon, and I don't even care if you say no, clips of when we're talking. Because it's just some of the things, the facial expressions we get from each other. <laughs> yeah, you really have to see it to appreciate it. You do indeed. You do indeed. But yeah, right, let's kick start this shit show. So... We are going back to 1965, Indianapolis, Indiana, USA. Uh, Sylvia, uh, who was then aged 16 years old, uh, was held captive and subjected to horrific amounts of abuse and torture that lasted around three months. The abuse and torture was uh, given... What? No. Start again. The abuse and torture was from her caregiver... Gertrude Bainzowski. and Oh, I was really looking forward to you fucking that up. Now nah, I've been practicing. <laughs> practicing a lot saying that one. Bainzowski. Bainzowski. Uh, two of Gertrude's kids, Paula and John, the main kids in the story doing this, but most of her other kids were as well. Um, and several kids from the neighbourhood, including two... Uh, Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs. Uh, so the deputy prosecutor described this case as the most diabolical case ever to come before a court or jury. So please, as I said, pause the episode in between if need be because it gets quite graphic and quite fucked up, to be honest. But we yeah. are literally the epitome of go hard or go home. You've got to, you've got to, man. That's how I've always lived my life. I'm like, if you, there's no point in just doing something a little bit. You're going to do something a little bit. <laughs> nah, just go full on. Like, let's, oh, not, let's not win listeners by, you know, breaking them in gently. Let's just ruin their lives from the off. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah, definitely. They know where, the, where we're coming from and from the offset then. We're not easing them into like a false sense of security. It's like slapped around the face. That's the shit you get. Take it or leave it. I think some people are staying. I think we love you. <laughs> I will also point out that at the start of this show, and I think we will release this clip because, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the only one that's come across as a raging alcoholic so far. That Shell presented me with a glass at the start of the uh, episode and said, This is what I'm drinking. And she said, There's this much tequila. And this much apple juice. And then, I mean, she may well as not have not have bothered with the apple juice. I mean, I wasn't gonna. 
<laughs> to tell you the God's honest truth. I was just going to be like, nah, I'll just have a nice strong tequila. But then I realised, actually, it's quarter to six on a Tuesday evening. I mean, I am in lockdown. Every day is a weekend at the moment for me. So Whatever gets you through. <laughs> the last time I did tequila... Yeah, just as little, ju- just to lighten the mood before we completely ruin your hopes and dreams. Yeah, was um, I'm going to take you back, Michelle. Oh, me. Full name, full name, Michelle. Oh shit. Gemma's engagement party, and we were on the dance floor. <laughs> I was tied up in some sort of purple bow that I'm still not sure how that happened. <laughs> no. I'm not sure what happened, but my shoe ended up the other side of the room. And there was a cracking black mark on the ceiling <laughs> just been painted where my shoe had collided with it. I have that photo. I know exactly what you're talking about. So I do tend personally to avoid tequila after that incident and the Christmas that I lost to tequila. <laughs> I'm a big tequila fan. I very much, very much enjoy my tequila. I've never lost a night on tequila. I've I lost a Christmas. <laughs> I haven't lost the period of my life to tequila. <laughs> I had my Christmas dinner and then I slept until midday Boxing Day. <laughs> no, seriously, I've never, like, I've obviously gotten extremely drunk on tequila, but I've never, like, completely lost life, which most people say they do when they have tequila. Mm. No. Don Julio tequila. Oh, my God. That is so smooth, right, that you don't have the burn at all. And I did, like, a few months down through Mexico, and I had a good night on Don Julio, and it was just fantastic. Literally, it it just tastes of, like, the saltiness of this tequila, but you don't get the burn. So we are looking for a sponsor. So Don oh Julio Tequila. God, Don Julio, please sponsor us. Oh, I'll drink you out of business, but please sponsor us. I was actually going to say, you know, you put dirty dicks in like every post we did for last week's episode. We should so ask them for a sponsor. I think that would be a laugh. Imagine recording an episode whilst in dirty dicks. Oh my God, that would be amazing. Right? Right? If, if you're listening to dicks, we want that to happen. Make that happen. Please. Specifically the Paris Spa. Specifically. There is? There is. Oh, when I was trying to find them on, when I was finding them on, um, what's the thing? The Instagram. The Instagram, that's the word. Um, ah. One popped up in Edinburgh. So I feel like we should go up to Edinburgh and go visit Dirty Dicks in Edinburgh. I have a wedding in Scotland coming up. Oh my God, Hendo. <gasps> Dude. Yes. Yes. You yeah. on it? I'm on it. Don't you worry. Even if it's only us two that attend, I'm on it. Fucking right. Dirty dicks, Edinburgh, Hindu. Ooh. Plastic dicks all over the place. Yes. Gotta have the plastic dicks and straws <laughs> and everything and the blow up ones to walk around. And whistles and daily yeah. boppers. Yes. You gotta have the willy boppers. <laughs> If only you all could see Emma's impersonation of Willie Headboppers. 
shit. I mean, I don't want to drag the spirit down, but should we get onto some abuse and torture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just just about to say that. I'm glad you <clears throat> brought that up instead of me. Right, so that's all this. Um, Sylvia Likens. Here we go. So, first of all, a little bit of background on this piece of shit, Gertrude. Uh, she was born in 1928, uh, raised in Indianapolis at 16. She drops out of high school to marry 18-year-old John Banzuski. Even though John beat her, as with everybody in all our stories, she stayed with him for 10 years and had four goddamn kids with him. After their divorce, uh, she marries Edward Guthrie. This lasted a couple of months till they got divorced. Then she decides to go back to John, remarries John, and has another two goddamn bratty shit kids with him. Then they got divorced again in 1963. And that's how you really feel, Shell. Uh, yeah, I'm holding back right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding back. Uh, so a few weeks after the divorce to John again, uh, she finds herself in bed with Dennis Lee Wright, who also beat and abused her. Uh, she had one kid with him, and soon after the baby boy was born, Dennis ups and leaves, and that's it. So here it is. We're in 1965. She's alone with seven kids, aged from 17 to one years old, depressed and pretty much broke, apart from doing odd jobs for neighbours around the streets. I feel for in a way. You feel in sorry for No. You, no, no you, you can at the moment. Because I just feel that John. Hmm. Words, Emma. Mom. Oh, it's been a day. English. <laughs> not, not, not complaining. There. <laughs> um, John. Literally, I feel like what happened here, although I could be wrong, is John completely beat shit out of her, broke her spirit, and she. It just made her then an easy target for all the other asshats and douchebags to come along and beat shit out of her. It's very possible. It's probably true, but. It's just the fact that she takes it out on a 16-year-old girl. I have my theories, but I'll, I'll, I'll present those later. Yeah, please do. A little bit of background for Sylvia. Uh, so Sylvia Likens, born in 1949. She was the third of five kids, and her parents were carnies, so uh, carnival workers. And her younger sister, Jenny, who was only one year younger than her, had suffered from polio and she had a limp and had to wear a brace for the rest of her life. Uh, so her parents' marriage was rocky and as carnies, they were moving around the state and country frequently during festival seasons. And this had severe financial difficulties on them. The sons would often help out with the carnival work, uh, but the parents didn't want their daughters kind of around all of that that's happening in a carny. They wanted them to get education. They were kind of worried for their safety and stuff. So they used to get the girls to stay with grandparents so they could keep up education and stuff. It's fair. It is fair, yeah. Um, but in June of 1965, the Likens family were together at home when their mother was arrested in jail for shoplifting. And as her father, Lester, he had to get back out on the road to start work. 
he had arranged for the two girls to stay with Gertrude. Uh, so she was the mother uh, of a couple of girls that Sylvia and Jenny were friends with at school. And Gertrude assured Lester that she would look after the girls as if they were her own. And he agreed with her that he would send her like $20 a week boarding fee for looking after them until like Christmas time. So, so far, I mean, we've had some very, very questionable parenting Mm. in our episodes before. Yes. Shoplifting aside, Mm. I don't think the parents are doing a bad job. No, no, no. We'll come to the parents again afterwards, but they literally are just trying to work and they don't want their... Hey? They're trying hard. They want their girls to get education. Yeah, exactly. And they don't want them unsafe with, you know, you hear horror stories and stuff like that about carnivals, carnival workers and stuff. They don't want them to be around that, so they're trying to keep them out of that lifestyle. But this was just an absolute unfortunate incident, event. But it's one of them that, I don't know, couldn't have been helped. Yeah. Because it just literally happens out of nowhere. Like, there's nothing that leads up to it. It just instantly starts sort of thing. Got you. But yeah, as I said, it'll kind of make more sense. Yeah, the first few weeks, the girls were living there. They was having a fantastic time. Very little rules around the house. Sylvia would often be blasting uh, pop records and singing and dancing around the house with all the other kids. And she often helped out with cleaning and attended Sunday school with all the other kids that were there. But this, however, did not last very long. Uh, So the payments from their father started to arrive late. And by late, literally like a day or two after he said she would receive it. And Gertrude instantly turned onto the two girls and would beat them with a quarter inch thick paddle and shout at them, well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. That's a direct quote from Jenny during her statement. That's horrific. Yeah. And on one occasion... Both of the girls would be around 15 times on the back with this paddle. Uh, And Paula, who's Gertrude's eldest daughter and friend of both of these girls, um, accused them of eating too much food at the church supper that they all attended. Possibly because they may not have been fed too well at home, perhaps. I mean, if they're getting beat, I can't imagine they're getting a hearty meal to get them through it. (laughs) Well, at this point... It was literally just a couple of these beatings. Like, they were being fed still. They still had beds to sleep in and all that. Just for some reason, well, Gertrude turned on them because the dad was paying a couple of days late, but the daughters, the other kids, just followed lead almost of what the mum was doing. Absolute asshole kids. Yeah, yeah, it's... Horrendous. But notice that they were all still feeding, eating at home still. She just decided to make up a rumour and give them another thing to get beat about. But uh, so by August, uh, Gertrude had pretty much focused all of the abuse onto Sylvia. 
and this is just a speculation, but people have said that they reckon she focused on Sylvia because she was jealous of her appearance and her potential in life. Um, so apart from the paddle beatings, uh, the initial abuse began with refusing her sufficient food. Uh, this would lead Sylvia to eating leftovers or gun off food that's been sitting in the bin for weeks on end. And one time, Sylvia was humiliated in front of the whole family when she claimed that she had a boyfriend in Long Beach who she met earlier that year when her family lived in California. Gertrude instantly asked if she'd ever done anything with the boy. And Sylvia was unsure of what exactly she meant. So she responded with, I guess so. And said that she had gone skating and gone to the park with him and held hands, that kind of thing. (sighs) Yeah, so she's a really innocent kid. She's a kid, right? And then she also mentioned that one time she lay in bed with him and Gertrude instantly flipped a switch and shouted at her saying, why did you do that? Uh, Sylvia was saying, I don't know. And that was it. Then a few days later, Gertrude was sitting there and decided to bring it all up again. And she started saying to her that she started to look a bit bigger in the stomach and you you might be pregnant because you lay in bed with a boy. So Sylvia, (laughs) this just baffles my brain and I don't know if maybe it's different because he is in no way or will ever be more than anything I can ever stress my boyfriend but when we went to Florida that first night when you and Ash were fucking comatose like hunting dead zombies I got up because in our little Mickey's bitches yeah and Ricky was awake watching rumbles and I just went and got into bed with him and like my boyfriend was in the next room and it, I just like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older and I, I, and he wasn't or will never, ever, but I cannot stress enough why, be <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend. I just don't get it. Like I've laid in bed with so many boys. friends. <laughs> Yeah, no, same here. But I think what Gertrude was doing, she just wanted to get into Sylvia's head. Gertrude was pretty much acting like a kid and being, and because she was jealous of what she looked like. Like Sylvia was a pretty, a pretty girl and she got a whole life ahead of her. She was got a, doing a good education. She was doing well in school. She had a family that loved her. And I think Gertrude just kind of went to, almost like a kid-like brain and was like, you know, wanting to ruin a life. Like, oh, you're getting fat. You're definitely pregnant. You know, you shouldn't have done that. Unfortunately, Sylvia, she didn't believe her, but she took, she kind of took it to heart, but she was also kind of thinking that she was playing around. And she, Sylvia started kind of playing on with her. She was like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting big. I should go on a diet. I'm eating too much food. Then Gertrude gets all the girls in the family together and says, whenever they did anything with a boy, you're, you're going to be pregnant. No matter what you do with the boy, you are going to get pregnant. But <laughs> she's saying all this, but her daughter, Paula, was three months pregnant at the time. Of course she was. 
yeah. <laughs> what she wants. Exactly. But uh, jokes aside, so after Gertrude had shouted and said, you know, whenever you do anything for the boy, you're instantly going to be pregnant. She turned to Sylvia and kicked her in the privates, like smashed her so she fell off a chair onto the floor. And then Paula, as I said, she was three months pregnant and she was jealous of how Sylvia looked and what she had in life, decided to join in the beating, kicked her while she's on the ground saying, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. As the family were eating dinner just after that, you know, kicking, beating, Sylvia's lying on the floor. Gertrude, Paula and one of the boys from the neighbourhood, literally like your next door neighbour or I mean, there's a few kids from the neighbourhood that join in later, but just one of the kids come in the house and attempt to force feed Sylvia a hot dog that's overloaded with mustard, ketchup and spices, shoving it down her throat, which made her throw up. And then she was then forced to eat what she had just threw up on the floor. I'm noticing this is a theme as well. We... (laughs) Maybe we'll do fairy tales next week. Yeah, we'll have a nice story next week for you. <laughs> we'll lighten the mood, definitely, because I need to lighten the mood. Um, yeah, so one day uh, at school, Sylvia, obviously being pissed off and holding all this in that's happening at home, uh, she decided to start a rumour about Stephanie and Paula that they were prostitutes. Uh, so Stephanie is another one of Gertrude's daughters. Um, and a boy from the school approached Stephanie and jokingly started to proposition her, ask her if uh, she'll get down and dirty. <laughs> That's a tequila talking, that is now. We're really good at the English language. Please. <laughs> um, and after he was joking with her, he told her that Sylvia had started the rumour. That evening, uh, Stephanie asked Sylvia... And she admitted it and apologised. So Stephanie just punched her in the face. Then her boyfriend, 15-year-old Coy Hubbard, found out what she had said. So he grabbed her by the hair, punched her, slapped her, banged her head against the wall and flipped her backwards onto the floor. Then Gertrude decides to jump in with the paddle and wail away. And then at one point during this, um, Paula got involved. <laughs> and this is just fucked up. But she hit Sylvia in the face with such force that she broke her own wrist. But it didn't stop her. That didn't stop her. She went to hospital. She got a cast. She came back home. She thought, I got a weapon now. So she started to then use the cast to beat Sylvia around the face again. And during these months, Gertrude would occasionally force Jenny, who was Sylvia's younger sister, to beat her, to start to batter Sylvia. And if Jenny didn't comply with that, then she was going to get beaten instead. So it's like, do you want to get beat or do you want to beat your sister so you don't get beat? I mean, Jenny's, like, weak as fuck in the sense of she suffered polio as a youngster. She's not, like, she's struggling to walk. She's got a limp. She's got this metal 
splint to help her walk. Mm-hmm. She's in a rough position. Yeah. A really, really rough position. And then, you've, yeah, then you're forced to either take a beating or beat the shit out of your sister. You ready to continue? Should we have some, have some more? Let me just take a gulp of this. I was tempted to like say I'm going to do this in two parts so it's not as intense, but I was like, just get it all done in one go. <laughs> Corey Hubbard. Yeah. Uh, he was Stephanie's boyfriend. Um, and several of his classmates and kids from the neighbourhood uh, would frequently visit the house to physically and verbally torment Sylvia. Gertrude allowed this, she encouraged it, and she would often just sit there and watch or join in with what was going on. So they used to use Sylvia as a practice dummy for violent judo sessions. Uh, They would lacerate her body, burn her with cigarettes, and there was over 100 burn marks across her whole body at the end of all of this and severely injuring her genitals. And again, this part, I'm not actually going to say the whole thing um, because I don't even want to repeat it. So I'll tell you a couple of points and your minds will make up what actually happened. So for entertainment, Gertrude, her kids and the neighbourhood kids um, would force Sylvia to strip and then she would be handed a Coke bottle to do things with. I have no words. No. This is why I hate. This is why I have dogs, because humans are the worst. Yeah. Seriously. Gertrude uh, eventually stopped Sylvia from attending school. So yeah. they were twatting around the face with their cast and a paddle and she was punched so hard the step, step, stepsister we'll go stepsister I'm yeah. unsure what real, real relation like. there's, literally, there's literally no relation she was the friends well, like, essentially stepsister, adoptive, foster yeah, 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 yeah punched her so hard in her face that she broke her own wrist mm-hmm in school yeah this this is another part that's really fucked up about this story is literally no one does anything people are seeing it literally like in a bit there's a part of a story where people are watching it and they don't do anything people are the worst seriously yeah so the reason why Gertrude eventually stopped Sylvia from attending school was because she stolen a gym kit because Gertrude refused to buy her any new clothes which were all ripped up and burnt to shit and covered in god knows what then whilst she was stuck at home uh, Gertrude would continuously whip Sylvia with a belt and scream about the evils of premarital sex and repeatedly kicking her in the stomachs and burning her fingertips with matches before continuing to whip the life out of her Whilst her daughter is premaritally pregnant. Yes. Fabulous. Okay, I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just clear that one up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so the sisters 
uh, they were both so scared of what would happen to them at the hands of Gertrude that they never even attempted to tell anybody, teachers or even the police. They didn't, they couldn't see a way out of anything. Uh, and Jenny was regularly threatened by Gertrude that she would be abused and tortured worse than her sister if she attempted to say anything. And even the girls in the neighbourhood would bully her when she would try and, like, on the sly tell them what was happening. They thought she was just bullshitting. Kids are the worst. And during this time, this bit's like a heartbreaking bit. Um, their parents would occasionally visit whenever they could, whenever they had some money to be able to travel long distance. Uh, the last time that they visited was late August. Neither of the girls showed any signs of distress or attempted to tell them what was happening, purely because Gertrude and the other kids were like latched onto them the whole time, so there was never a moment of just the girls and the parents together. And then soon as the parents had left, Gertrude got up in Sylvia's face and again, quote, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they're gone. End quote. Assholes. Yeah, is a polite word for them. Uh, so one day in September, the girls managed to meet up with their older sister, Diana, at the local park. Both of the girls uh, started to tell Diana about the abuse that was happening. And initially, she didn't believe them. She thought that was just exaggerating, like they want to come home. So let's try and make up a story kind of thing. And a few weeks later, they met up again along with Marie, one of Gertrude's young daughters. And Sylvia told Diane that she was hungry, so Diane brought her a sandwich. A few days later, back at home, Marie mentioned this to Gertrude. Gertrude's response was, accuse Sylvia of gluttony, then her and Paula choked and battered her, then put her in a hot scalding bath to cleanse her of sin, and when she fainted, Gertrude would grab her by the hair and repeatedly bang her head against the bath to revive her. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm laughing to kind of <laughs> try and not really think what the hell is happening here. Literally, I have no words. Um, I think I'm perfectly okay with me not really having any words in this episode because when Definitely. you said it to me, I was like, let's do that one I've heard. This one, I don't remember it being this. I, don't know, I remember it being bang. And I remember thinking, fuck. And I know exactly where I was when I listened to it. And I can remember, so I listened to it in the car, so I remember my journey. Yeah. So I know it was bad because it resonated in me that much. Yeah. Well, as I said, just before we started this, I think I read about this story about seven seven, eight years ago, just before there's a couple of movies about it, which I'll tell you about later. And it's stuck with me ever since. Like, I don't think there's a day gone by that I haven't had an accidental thought about what happened to her. It's proper stuck with me, this one. It's... <clears throat> I just feel like we just one up in every week. <laughs> I really don't know we need a child. Next week, on it happens everywhere. Emma will be reciting the entire script of the film Frozen. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say that. We'll just sit here and play a Disney album. <laughs> we'll have happy thoughts next week. Happy thoughts. Oh, um, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to keep saying this. Here's a horrible part for you. <laughs> 
so <laughs> shortly after the unfortunate incident with the bathtub, um, the father of one of the kids in the neighbourhood phoned up the local school where pretty much all the kids attended and reported that there was a girl living in the Bainzowski family who had open sores across her body. Uh, and as Sylvia hadn't been in school for several days, a school nurse visited to see what was going on. Gertrude told the nurse that Sylvia had run away and was out of control and that the sores were due to Sylvia's refusal to maintain personal hygiene. Then the school said, oh, okay, that's fine. Thanks for telling us. And that was it. Made no further investigations. Didn't even attempt to see Sylvia. They just spoke to Gertrude. And that was it. I just read the next sentence and I got so happy and excited. And then I read the following one. <laughs> As with all our stories, we have the neighbours that always jump in to save the day. Fortunately, these neighbours did not help. So the Vermilion family, uh, there was a middle, middle-aged couple and they visited Gertrude's house on a couple of occasions when the girls were living there. Both times they saw Paula physically abuse Sylvia and on both occasions Sylvia had a black eye and Gertrude would sit there and openly boast about the abuse that she dished out. However, the couple never reported anything just put it to the back of the minds and went about their days. I feel like at the moment I'm saying this on a daily. What is wrong with people? I, it's, men, it's mental, absolutely mental. Uh, their sister, Diana, uh, she had attempted to visit the girls at the home a couple of times and Gertrude had refused to let Diana in and ordered her to go off the property. Then, by chance, Diana saw Jenny at the local park again and asked about Sylvia's welfare, and Jenny responded with, again, quote, I can't tell you or I'll get into trouble, end quote. And that's to her own sister. But again... I don't know why the older sister Diana didn't then take that to the police and say, look, my kid sister's just said, I can't tell you what's happening with my sister or I'm going to get in trouble. Like, that's a red flag, right? I also just can't get on board with, and I'm not telling people how to torture their own kids or other (laughs) people, but if you're going to be torturing kids, why, why are you letting the other one out? Like, surely, to me, surely that's asking for... You've got to have a lot of faith in how terrifying you are to be letting the other one just pop to the park. Well, they have. I mean, they couldn't even tell their parents. They can't even... They're scared to tell anybody at school and they're at school on their own all day. This, yeah, I know. And um, due to the frequency and brutality of the torture, uh, Sylvia became incontinent. So she couldn't hold anything in anymore. And she was denied access to use the bathroom and was forced to stand there and wet herself. And as punishment for this, uh, Gertrude threw Sylvia into the basement and tied her up. And here she was often kept naked, rarely fed and deprived of water. And sometimes she would be tied to the railing of the stairs so that her feet barely touched the floor. So she's just hanging on 
by her hands. Not even her hands, piece of rope. And Gertrude would also tell, like, her own children that Sylvia was saying shit behind their backs, hoping that she would goad the kids into attacking her. So she was trying to put into their heads that Sylvia was saying shit like, ah, oh, dude, she said that about you. Go and smack her around the face. Yeah. Continue. I have no words. <laughs> just I know. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to read through. Just go within it. Oh. One time, uh, Gertrude had held up a knife to Sylvia and challenged her to fight. And Sylvia replied that she didn't know how to fight. So Gertrude was like, fuck you. I'm going to cut your legs then. And the abuse would only ever stop as well when their favourite TV shows are on. So, you know, she'll get like an hour or two of break every day. And even more fucked up than what already has been, the kids of the neighbourhood were charged five cents apiece to come and see Sylvia tied up and they were allowed to humiliate humiliate some lightheartedness for you all there. They were humiliate. They were allowed to beat her, burn her, or mutilate her as much as they liked, as long as they paid the five cents. No, I, I get this is back in day, but five cents doesn't seem a lot. It's not a lot. They're not, they're not doing it to make the money, are they? No, they're just doing it shits and giggles. Like, you know, it's almost like, oh, your parents are in a carnival showing off things, weird things. You know, you can be a carnival piece now. People are paid to come and see you and do shit to you. I keep allowing my eyes to, like, run down, and every time I do, it just... It gets worse and worse, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. Um, and Sylvia would also often be placed into scalding hot baths and then have salt rubbed into her wounds and to muffle the sounds because, you know, we can't be having screams in the house. They would just gag her and keep going. And at one time... John, who was Gertrude's 12-year-old son, had once rubbed a baby's nappy that was full of urine and feces into Sylvia's mouth and then gave her just half a cup of water and said, that's all you're getting all day. Well, a few days later, he gave her a bowl of soup and said, eat this with your fingers. And when she attempted to kind of grab some, he took the bowl and just lobbed it into the bin and started laughing at her. He's 12. He's a baby. He's an actual baby. Yes. I think, no, it gets worse. There's, what, there's younger. There's younger ones in a, in a minute. In a minute, don't worry. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Gertrude eventually allowed Sylvia to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. But she's not allowed to use the bathroom still. But don't wet yourself. That night, she did. And as a punishment, again, not going to say it all, she was made to strip naked and given the Coke bottle. All in the presence of Gertrude and the kids. And the kids are young kids, like five years old or something like that. Younger as well. And then (laughs) one of the nights, uh, Gertrude had ordered Sylvia into the kitchen, uh, made her strip yet again and shouted that you have branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. How did she brand the daughters? 
they th- they think that in Gertrude's mind, like Sylvia is a sinner, and she's sort of brought badness into the house, and she's branded the her daughters like you've got the sin now sort of thing, and she was like a bad role model. That's what they sort of think was going through her head at the time, but she's never showed any remorse or ever explained anything to any of this. Yeah, so she thought, you've branded mine, I'm going to brand you. So she got a heated needle and started to carve the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, into Sylvia's abdomen. Then when she was unable to finish that, she got one of the kids from the neighbourhood, 14-year-old Richard Hobbs, to finish it off while she went to the shops with Jenny. And for some reason, he had the idea that he wanted to use a bolt, a heated bolt, to burn it into a skin. So he and 10-year-old Shirley dragged Sylvia into the basement. They heated up an anchor bolt, so just a chunky bolt, and started to burn the rest of the words into a stomach. And then Gertrude would taunt Sylvia, saying that, she would never marry, no one would ever want her now. And she was forced to show it off and tell them that she received it at a sex party. I need a drink. Ready to start? Sure. <laughs> <sighs> I do understand, I knew about this story before. And I've watched the film. And obviously I've wrote all this out, but when you're saying it out loud, it hits differently. I just... Like, you can read something and it's fine, but when you're actually saying it out loud, you're just like, I feel dirty saying these things. <laughs> Let's get through this shit. <clears throat> right, so... Late October, uh, Gertrude had forced Sylvia to write a letter to her parents as she dictated what she would write. So she was forced to tell her parents that she had run away and she was being bullied by a group of local boys who had abused and mutilated her after she agreed to have sex with them. The plan was then to have John and Jenny blindfold Sylvia, take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest and leave her there to die. Poor, I mean, obviously the the whole story is poor Sylvia. Mm. Poor Jenny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. It's it's both of them. Like Sylvia obviously had it obviously the worst. But Jenny had to live with this. After. My heart breaks for like Jenny. Maybe even a little bit more. Because seeing all of this happening and not being able to help. And mm. she tried to help getting it herself and <sighs> I know. Twenty fifth of October. Sylvia attempted to escape after overhearing this plan. Uh, She tried to run through the front door, but due to her injuries and just general weakness, uh, Gertrude had grabbed her by the legs before she even had a chance to make it to the front door. So they tried to feed her as she was just looking like a zombie, but she wouldn't take any food. So they decided to force it into her mouth. And then... (laughs) hit her around the face with a curtain rod until that curtain rod was bent at a right angle, knocking her unconscious. Uh, That night, she desperately tried to alert the neighbours by hitting a wall with a spade. And that neighbour, 
later on, like weeks later on, uh, told the police that she heard noises around three in the morning, but ignored it. I want our heroic neighbours back. We need a good heroic neighbour because there's absolutely no heroicness in this story. Uh, So the morning of October 26th, Sylvia was unable to speak or even move her arms and legs. Gertrude dragged her to the kitchen, propped her up against the wall and attempted to feed her and give her a glass of milk. But Sylvia was unable to grip the glass and in frustration, Gertrude threw her down the stairs into the basement again. Then Paula went down and tried to get her to speak. She was asking her to try and recite the alphabet and she couldn't even get past the first four letters. So Paula started to jump on her. That seems like a great way to get someone to remember the alphabet. Mm -hmm. Um, That afternoon, uh, John brought a hose into the house and attempted to wash Sylvia. Yet again, she saw that the door was open, so she tried to escape but the bitch Gertrude grabbed her by the legs and then stomped on her head a few times. I've got a real thing, a real, real thing about heads and stamping. And like to the point where I can't even bear Seth Rollins' like, curb stomp because it just... For a minute. It, it's one, you know, one of those things that makes you like... Ugh. Yeah, 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 proper crawls up your back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we won't repeat that line again then but mm-hmm. when they noticed that she wasn't moving they decided to put her in a warm soapy bath uh, but Sylvia had stopped breathing way before she could even be carried out of the basement she was 16 years old Stephanie had tried to apply CPR uh, whilst Gertrude was telling everybody in the house that Sylvia was just faking it. So she repeatedly hit a book around Sylvia's face, screaming, faker, you're a faker. One of the kids that was in the house, uh, Richard Hobbs, freaked out, ran outside to a payphone and phoned the police. After he beat the shit out of her cracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, dick. <laughs> So that was about me affectionately dubbing him Dick, short for Richard, and calling him a fucking dick. Dick, yes. Uh, so when the police arrived a few hours later, uh, Gertrude led the officers to an extremely mutilated body that was lying on a shit-filled mattress. She then handed them the letter that Sylvia was forced to write, and she told them that Sylvia had turned up at the house a few hours ago beaten and stripped and was gripping this letter and Gertrude said that she was trying to doctor her wounds just before she died. Next to her was Paula who was clutching a bible which was probably the same book that was used to beat her when she was already dead. Stated that this death was meant to happen then she looked over at Jenny and stared at her and said quote if you want to live with us, Jenny, we will treat you like our own sister. Unquote. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the police took Jenny into another room, just the police and Jenny, and asked her what had happened. And she instantly said to them, quote, you get me out of here, I'm going to tell you everything. And um, 
just taking it back a notch, hmm. why did this family even own a Bible? Because they were they went to church every Sunday. The kids went to Sunday school. Oh, cracking! It, it really hammered home, like you know, do unto your neighbour as you wish to be it's been a while since that, that was really good i was trying to figure it out in my head as well i was like i can't remember what the hell that one is what, that, that yeah, whole, yeah 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 do on to your neighbor if you went on to you yeah so, yeah oh yeah but it's, love thy brother i think and i know it's sister but i'm pretty sure love thy brother is one of them i wouldn't necessarily say god-fearing people but they attended church they classed themselves as christians yeah this happened. Um, so after Jenny's statement, the police arrested Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie and John um, and Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were later arrested. Uh, the four of them, well four of them lot, were placed in a juvenile detention centre while the youngest kids and Richard were detained in the Indianapolis Children's Guardian's home and all were held without bail pending up to the trial date. What, why weren't Dick sent to the detention centre? Uh, it was the ages. So Richard was a bit younger than Richard. No. Um, don't, don't full name him. He don't deserve that shit. Dick, that's what we're going with. Dick. Uh, he was a bit younger, so he didn't... It's either the juvenile detention. It's like 13 upwards, I think, for juvenile detention centres. Right. And then under that, you go to like a the children's guardian's home. Initially... Gertrude denied any involvement in any of this. The next day, she confessed that she had known that the kids, in particular her daughter Paula and Coy, had physically and emotionally abused Sylvia. And she stated that Paula did most of the damage whilst Coy did most of the beating. And then she admitted that she forced her to sleep in the basement. She literally she threw her kids under the bus she was using them to get out of the shit that she had done. And uh, lacking any remorse at all, which you'll be hearing quite a bit of in the next few minutes, uh, Paula instantly signed a statement saying she admitted that she repeatedly beated Sylvia with a belt, once breaking her wrist on her jaw, inflicting acts of brutality and pushing her down the stairs two or three times, just two or three. John admitted uh, to having slapped Sylvia, but adding, <laughs> quote, that most of the time I use my fists, end quote. So that's a punch. You are. You don't. That's a punch. No, yeah, he said that he slapped her, but, mo- but sometimes he used his fists. Like, he wasn't just an open slap. Sometimes it was the fist. He's, just, he's being honest. It's the only fucker that was honest. And he also admitted to burning her with matches on several occasions and that his mother would use her cigarettes to burn her. Uh, Five of the kids were arrested from the neighbourhood over the next few days. All of them were charged with injury to person and released back into the custody of their parents under the condition they will appear as a witness to the trial. This next bit is uh, part of the autopsy report. I'm going to state that it's a graphic warning. If you don't want to hear all of this, fast forward about 30 seconds. 
but I'll kind of do a little intro to come back into it again if you need to. So here it is. Checking out. Go for it. Uh, so the autopsy report of Sylvia revealed that she had suffered over 150 separate wounds across her whole body and was abnormally thin at the time of her death. Some of the injuries included burns, severe bruising, extensive muscle and nerve damage, and such damage to her privates that she was swollen shut. Her fingernails were broken backwards, layers of skin across her whole body had peeled or receded, and she had bitten her lips so much and so hard that it had severed sections from her face. So that's the end of the autopsy report. If you fast forward, here's your moment to come back into the story. All good to come back. Emma, are you coming back to us? <laughs> it was just the fingernails. That, that really, that really, I, I don't know, there's a lot worse injuries. Yeah, but <laughs> the fingernails that got me. I know. It's so bad. I know. But the official cause of her death was listed as subdural hermatomia. Uh, so receiving. Huh? Hermatomia <laughs> uh, is my favourite thing you have ever said. <laughs> I was doing so well. This is supposed to be a proper serious episode, this was. Hermatomia, kids, you heard it. We need this, we need this. Hematomia. Hematoma. Hematomia. Hematoma. Hematomia. Watch an episode of Grey's for the love of fucking God. <laughs> Yeah, man. I got a life. <laughs> okay, so about the hermatomia. Yeah, the hermatomia. Um, so received a severe blow to her right temple. So after the funeral was the trials. And this, this bit's bad as well. Not as bad as all the rest, but it, it's still fucked up. So just before the trials began, Gertrude and two older kids were subjected to several psychiatric evaluations to see if they could actually stand trial. All of the experts testified that all three were mentally competent. So no remorse, no reality button missing. They were on the scale of, you're totally fine. Experts said there was nothing wrong with them. You with us? Yep. <laughs> so the actual trial and hearing was almost as fucked up as the actual story. I haven't gone into a lot of detail with this because it's, there's a massive, massive lot about the trial. So if you want to read up about it, have a quick little Google. But um, one of the kids, uh, Randy Lepper, stated that he often saw Sylvia... Sh- no. He saw Stephanie strike Sylvia real hard. Then whilst he stood there smirking, he confessed to beating Sylvia between 10 and 40 different times. Here. I'm here. I'm just struggling. <laughs> I'm just staring into my wine, wondering why we started this podcast. <laughs> Gertrude denied absolutely everything. She described the house as being such a madhouse that she didn't know everything that was going on. And she was too preoccupied, preoccupied with her own illness and depression that she couldn't control her own kids. And she denied the knowledge 
of Sylvia having ever endured any beating, scolding, branding or burning within a home. Marie, the young girl, uh, was probably the only one to ever show any remorse, uh, even though it doesn't change my mind about her. But she broke down on the stand and admitted that she'd heated up the needle to brand Sylvia. And she admitted to seeing her mother sitting in her chair while she was crocheting and watching a girl from the neighbourhood beat the shit out of Sylvia. And another witness testified that she sat next to Paula on the church bus and openly heard her bragging about breaking her wrist on Sylvia's face and saying proudly, quote, I tried to kill her, end quote. So the trial lasted 17 days and the verdicts, Gertrude was guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. Paula was guilty of second degree murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. Coy, Richard and John Guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 2 to 21 years to be served in the Indiana Reformatory. (laughs) Now, (laughs) this bit pissed me off. Um, In 1971, Gertrude and Paula were uh, both retried in the trial because there was such media frenzy about it. Um, The judges thought they didn't get a fair trial. Uh, Paula decided to do a plea guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. So she was resentenced to serve two to 20 years in prison, right? And despite the fact that she attempted to escape prison twice in that same year, she was released in 1972. Gertrude was convicted again of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Have you noticed that somehow we seem to com- cover the most horrific crimes with the shittest sentencing known to man? Oh, seriously, dude, it gets it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So I've the- literally just read on and I'm about to throw my glass at the screen. Yeah. So over the next 14 years, uh, Gertrude was known as a model prisoner. She worked in the prison sewing shop. She was known as the Den Mother and she had the nickname of Mom. So, somehow, somewhere, the powers that be decided that the woman who branded a child's stomach with a needle can work in a sewing shop. Sewing shop. Yeah. Even worse, she was granted parole in 1985. She changed the name to Nadine Van Fossen, which was actually her maiden name. Uh, and she now, well, she described herself as a devout Christian. But the news of her parole caused uproar throughout the state of Indiana. Jenny, her whole family, and two anti-crime groups in the state uh, gathered over 40,000 signatures to keep Gertrude locked up. Uh, but during her parole hearing, she stated that she wished Sylvia's death could be undone, but she still denies any responsibility in what happened. But due to her good conduct in prison, the judges decided to say a big fuck you to Sylvia's family and the 40,000 people who signed the petition and granted her parole still. A little bit of good news, not the best, but she unfortunately lived up until 1990 and then she died of lung cancer. And I hope it was painful. Uh, Jenny saw 
the obituary in a newspaper and she cut out the section and mailed it to her mom saying, uh, some good news, damn old Gertrude died. Ha ha ha. I'm happy about that. Good. Yes. Uh, Paula uh, got parole after a year, even though she, I think, probably did a good most of the badness in this. Uh, She got a new identity, right? Concealed her criminal history. So she managed to land a job as a school counsellor at a high school. She was only fired a few years ago, 2012, when the school discovered her true identity. She's still alive and she's married with two kids in Iowa. 40 years. Yeah. Imagine, imagine, imagine. Right. Someone who hasn't got the greatest mental health. I don't make no secret of that. Imagine going to a fucking counsellor as a kid and finding out that it was her. Imagine what that's going to do to someone who's already struggling and fighting a battle with their own brain. Mm. It gets worse, though. Most of these people get jobs in schools. Okay? Let me just continue. Stephanie, um, who was 15 at the time of all this, had all the charges dropped when she agreed to turn state's evidence against all the others. So she pretty much said, I'll be your rat if I don't get a sentence. So she got a new identity and became a school teacher. So she's married several kids and she lives down in Florida. Uh, Gertrude's the other younger children, they were all given new names and put in separate foster homes, so no idea what happened with them. Richard, Coy and John each served less than two years and was all granted parole in 1968. Richard, Dick, died of lung cancer in 1972 at the age of 21 years old. Good. Yes. Good, because he doesn't deserve to have lived any longer than that. No. Coy, this little fucking prick, never changed his name, right? Uh, Throughout his life, he was always in and out of jail. I think he actually was convicted of murdering a couple of people years on the line. But um, in 2007, as I said earlier, a movie was made about this case called An American Crime. And after the premiere, Coy's employment discovered that he was a part of this found his past found it all out and they fired him he died of a heart attack in 2007 at the age of 56 good John somehow became a counsellor for children of divorced parents now now listen to this he openly talked about the case and trial and admitted that he enjoyed the attention that Sylvia's murder brought upon him. How nice. I'm glad you had a good fucking time with all that absolute piece of shit. And luckily, the prick died of diabetes in 2005. The other kids from the neighbourhood, so all the ones that paid their five cents and joined in, all their charges were dropped. Nothing happened with any of them. A few of them have died of various illnesses throughout the year, but most of them are still alive. Um, Jenny, her sister, she lived on. She got married. 
She had two kids, but she unfortunately died of a heart attack in 2004 at the age of 54. Sylvia's parents, um, Elizabeth, the mother, died in 1998, and her father, Lester, died in 2013. And Jenny has repeatedly emphasised that no blame should be put upon her parents for placing them in the care of Gertrude. They were doing the best they could with what they had at the time. That poor man buried two of his kids. And his wife. And his wife. So the house where all this happened, uh, 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis, uh, stood vacant for years and years and years afterwards. And there was talk about turning it into um, a woman's shelter, uh, but the funds were never raised, unfortunately. So, oh, yeah. So in 2009, the house was demolished and it's now a church parking lot. Uh, in 2001, though, a six foot memorial was dedicated to Sylvia's life and was placed in Willard Park. Uh, the unveiling was attended by several hundred people and the words inscribed on the memorial say, quote, this memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. As a result, laws changed and awareness has increased. This is a continent. No. <laughs> I was doing so well. I was doing so well, I think. <laughs> This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this safe city for our children. End quote. <sighs> so, yeah, as I said, there's been a couple of movies and books made about it all. Um, the main one was called An American Crime and starred Ellen Page, who's from Juno. You know her? Yeah, I just read Ellen Page and I read Ellen... I read Ellen Page and I heard... Helen Mirren. No, Ellen... The one with the show. The show? Oh, Ellen. Ooh. Okay. We'll move on from that one. That's another episode. That's another one's worth of episodes. <laughs> and uh, Catherine Keener, who's from Into the Wild, which is a great film if you've never watched it. Um, and another film was called The Girl Next Door. But that's the one that I've watched. Um, so that film is loosely based on the case. It's all got different names and slightly different things happen in it, but it's generally the same thing. Fucked up. But, hey, if you enjoy pushing yourself to the limit, have a watch. Have a watch. And I'm glad to tell you that is the end of the story. <laughs> Downing the drink. Wow. Well. Well. So, that happened, unfortunately. That's the shit thing about doing this podcast. You find out all the horrible things that happen. We will, We are very much aware that pretty much the entire theme of this podcast so far has been child abuse and child murder and just horribleness for children and mm-hmm. um, I am going to do my utmost to avoid that next week <laughs> yeah. completely yeah I'm going to try and find a horrible one that just happens to adults because it's my week next week mm-hmm. and I will, I will try <laughs> because 
No, it's, I was telling someone from work what we're doing. And she was like, oh, send me the link. And I was like, no. no. Yeah, <laughs> everyone asks me and I'm like, no, I don't want to tell you what I'm talking about. Um, this person at work couldn't watch Children in Need. So I feel like the podcast so far. Yeah, she won't handle it well. I'll send her an episode and say, listen to this one and stop it. Send <laughs> <laughs> the dentist one. That hasn't got any kids in, has it? Well, it has. The kids see the mom, but they don't necessarily join in the beat. Save their mom. It's fucking heartbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. Oh, screw this. That's the story. Thanks for joining us. Let's have some hilarious Floridaness. Let's right kick it off, please. Right. Okay. I can. I can really feel the pain of this one. Like, this one resonates deep within me. Okay. <laughs> Florida man who allegedly threatened family with Coldplay lyrics and standoff with SWAT. No, stop. Restart that. Florida man who allegedly threatened family with Coldplay lyrics and standoff after SWAT promises in pizza. I mean, just the Coldplay lyrics were enough to scare me. I'd rather be threatened with a gun. Yes. <laughs> I think you can tell we're not the biggest Coldplay fans. A couple of their songs aren't too bad, but Jesus Christ. On the whole, they're depressing as shit. But, um, I mean, I like the fact that he's having a standoff with the SWAT team and he's like, I want a fucking pizza. <laughs> Get me my pizza or I'm going to play you Yellow by Coldplay. <laughs> I just like um, the fact that the SWAT team were called because he was threatening the family with Coldplay lyrics. I mean, it's a threatening thing. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be threatened with Coldplay lyrics. No. Right, so my um, Florida man. Florida man who tried to run to Bermuda in an inflatable bubble is rescued by Coast Guard's Again. (laughs) Now that is a screenshot for the Instagram. Emma just took a massive mouth of wine as I said that and her cheeks have just bulged out. (laughs) The photo of this is fantastic. Literally he's in the middle of the ocean. He's in a giant inflatable ball. You see his head just sticking out. And then there's the SWAT team in front of him. (laughs) It's just the, literally, rescued by Coast Guard, comma, again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. I love Florida men. I mean, mine, but I don't feel like mine was particularly funny, but I just, I wanted to put... The warning out there to anyone that people are out there ready to threaten you with Coldplay lyrics. That there are people out there that do that shit. But there's also people that try and run to Bermuda. (laughs) 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 Right, Chell, play us out. What's the Instagram, mate? You should know by now. Our Instagram is it.happenseverywhere. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts. We are on Anchor. We are on on Spotify. Spotify. 
And I tried to remember just before I started this, the other ones that we are on. And yet again, I can't remember. So we will let you know. But just literally Google us. We're on. We're there. You know, we're there. I mean, you're listening, so you found us. That's very true. That's very true. But we want newbies. We want new people to destroy their lives with our lovely stories. Um, yes, everybody, yet again, very, very, very much appreciate you all. Thank you so, so much for listening. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're having good weeks. If you're in America, hope you have a good Thanksgiving and actually get to see your families during this time. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday. Happy Happy new president. Happy new president. (laughs) I'm happy. I'm happy. I mean, I've already got my visa sorted, so I don't really care anymore. (laughs) Screw you, Michelle. (laughs) Um, Yes. Thank you all again, everybody. As I said, have safe weeks. Enjoy weeks. Happy Thanksgivings. Happy birthdays. Yeah, happy Monica. Happy birthdays. And if by any chance you are listening from Edinburgh, extra suggestions for bars for this impromptu Edinburgh Hindu that we're heading on. Definitely, yeah. And let us know if you've been today, Dick's Edinburgh. And let us know if it is any good. Because we will be going. We will be recording live from there, Edinburgh Dirty Dick. So beware. <laughs> Hashtag free drinks for a shout out. Yes. Maybe have hooks under your uh, bar for shelter hang a bag on. I was extremely excited about that. I think that's really exciting. I think it's really cool. I and a big too- shell on the bar, so I can sit there going, there's a shell in front of me, and I'm touching a shell. <laughs> and it was me that she was touching, not the even, not the shell on the bar. Please, flatten <laughs> some. <laughs> but no, I've been to a few bars, though, when they've got the hooks under it, and I'm like, this is exciting. But I have, I think I'm sure it was when I was in New York, I did that, put my bag under the bar, and then I just walked out of the bar. <laughs> May I just throw out there that this is Shell, the least girly person and least likely to be carrying a handbag of all of your friends. <laughs> no, it was a shopping bag. I'd been shopping and decided <laughs> to go and grab a drink. So I put whatever I'd had on the, on the hook underneath the bar, had a couple of drinks, said hi to people. Turned around to walk out, got halfway down the street, and I went, shit, <laughs> I left them my shopping. And then I ran back into the bar, and the dude was standing there like, ma'am, is this yours? I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> that was my American accent for you all. Right. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> yes, thanks for listening. Hope it wasn't too harsh. I will try I will do my utmost. This is my pledge to listeners to our everywhere fanatics. That we'll work on that. We need, we're gonna figure out a fan name, but yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I am going to find a story with a happy ending for next week. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna find a nice one. Like one that's possibly like kind of funny almost, I think. I feel like we just need it. Yeah, we're going to have a break. And then once we hit 10 episodes and once we hit a million subscribers that we've not decided on yet, but we will, we will release a blooper reel. And if you think that the episodes are a shit show, tune in because the blooper (laughs) reel is going to be phenomenal. The blooper reel will be about three hours. 
Um, we may <laughs> release it in separate parts. Drips and drops. Yes. But it will be something to look forward to, definitely. Right. We love you all. Peace out. Take care. See you all later, man. Bye-bye. Bye.